Today's show is brought to you by Early Bird Books. Powered by Open Road Media, publishers of new and classic ebooks you can enjoy on all of your devices. Got a new device? Why don't you add some books onto that, baby? Start today at earlybirdbooks.com. Let's go! Uh. All right, everybody. What's up? Welcome to the show. It's the Apple Bits XL, episode 35. This is kind of the recap of all the big announcements from Apple's keynote. I'm Brian Tong, your host with the most, and this show is always about you all. You can call in at 833-888-ABXL. That's 833-888-2295. I've got to imagine you all have so many thoughts about what Apple just dropped, iPad Pro, MacBook Air, Mac Mini. We're going to get into it. And also, if you're listening, I've kind of told you about how I'm working on getting sponsors for the show. So if you want to support the show that way, that's great. But if you want to have a version of this podcast without sponsors, patreon.com slash Tong is where to go. All right, let's just jump right into this. And I've got to say, come on, you knew it was coming. I've told you it was coming. iPad Pro the star of the show, hands down. This thing is impressive whether or not you want a tablet, whether or not you need a tablet. I've got to be honest though. Look, a tablet is always going to be a luxury device. You can do more with a computer. You could still do more with a computer. Apple is trying to tell us that an iPad can replace a computer. And remember that TV commercial that Apple did where the neighbor was like taking out the trash and she actually asked the girl who's doing her homework, is that a computer? And the girl slyly says, what's a computer? And that drove me crazy. That was a bad Apple ad. That was just horrible. But Apple is trying to continue to push this idea. Yes, the iPad is a computing device. I'm not gonna get into it so literally because fine, the iPad is a form of a computer, but it still can't do what a desktop and laptop can do. But you still know. I love this thing. It is my best friend when I travel. It's my media consumption device. I say it a billion times over. And if you're someone who does that and wants that, you're going to absolutely love this thing. Now, here's all the rumors that were out there pretty much came true, right? We have this new form factor, near bezel-less design. We've got to give credit to Steve Hemistoffer, who really leaked out the CAD designs, the actual schematics, which pretty much port by port, edge by edge, held up to be true. Everything from that kind of iPhone 4, 4S classic inspired design. It's the thinnest iPad at 5.9 millimeters thin. Uh, I also, it's using the liquid retina display, the same one that is found on the iPhone XR. And people, I talked about this in the video kind of summary in my reactions, and you can watch all that. But people were freaking out and kept on texting me, oh, it's not good enough, it's not OLED. But I'll tell you why I am a huge fan and I'm completely okay with it not being an OLED screen. First of all, the screen is still gonna look amazing. Yes, fine, unless you put it side to side, you won't be able to see how deep inky black OLED gets. But if you're using it on its own, you're not really gonna be able to tell. Beyond that, you really aren't. Beyond that, the 120 hertz Pro motion display is one of the best features for me with the iPad Pro. 
It also aids in them being able to have a super accurate Apple Pencil if you are an artist who is using it or will use it in that way because of its refresh rate. Everything looks smooth as butter. It is an important key thing. If they got rid of that feature, if they got rid of that and put in an OLED screen just to satisfy people who are familiar with the phones and just think it has to be OLED, you'd actually make this product would be would be removing features that are pretty much fundamental to it being unique. So I'm 100% okay with no OLED. You also have the Apple Pencil 2. It connects magnetically to the side. It's also probably why that smart connector got moved to the bottom near the port, which was confirmed, which was in all the rumors, because it has this magnetic element on the side. It just sticks right onto it, much like a Surface Pen. It also charges it at the same time. It syncs it like AirPods. Uh, Really cool stuff. They showed off the Photoshop demos that, again, it's coming out in 2019, and I was wowed by it. They even took something like a Photoshop file that had like 200, 300 layers and then imported it into their augmented reality app. And so you could move around. Some people were like, oh, when are you going to use that? I'm just telling you that type of tool all in on that single machine, you just have to make those tools, build it and they will come open up the imagination of amazing creative people. And yes, cliche, the sky's the limit. Now, here's what blew my mind. We talked, we just wanted to run through some of the specs and what's important. The iPad Pro benchmarks. Apple touting its A12X processor. It's faster, it's beefier than the A12 in the current iPhones. But Geekbench published the performance scores from it. And I want to talk about this because this thing is, pardon my French, damn impressive. Geekbench results, the single core score for the iPad Pro 2018 model. Single core score of 5,025. How does that match up? Uh, pretty similar to the iPhone XS, XS Max, and XR, which is 4,795. So you're talking about 250, uh, a lot around a 200 uh, point difference in score. The 2017 iPad Pro had a single core score of 3913. So that difference is about 1000 points. When you when you talk about single core, you're not going to get as big of a gap of a difference. But then let's talk about multi-core score here, okay? The 2018 iPad Pro, the new one has a multi-core score of 18106. Compare that to the iPhone Tennis Tennis Match and Tenor that was 11,167. So we're now talking about from last, from the current iPhones, a 7,000 point difference in multi-core score. Let's talk about how much faster it is than last year's iPad, the 2017 iPad Pro, 9,327 compared to 18,106. That's basically doubling its score, it's probably around like a 90% gain in performance, but that is huge, okay? And we saw Adobe do their demo for a pro app. Apple's touting this as a computer replacement, but I'm sorry, until you can do anywhere remotely what I can do, at least for a true, like, I don't wanna say someone who's just drawing and sketching. It's a different type of creative, right? You can have an illustrator, a designer, and photo editor 
work with the iPad Pro. But up to this point, you don't really have many video editing software options that are viable enough to say, yes, I have a fully capable video editor. The best thing on the iPad Pro right now is a is an app called Luma Fusion. But most people probably would love to get something resembling Final Cut Pro on an iPad Pro. Apple still isn't there. I've been screaming about it for three years. I think if you're on your third generation of hardware and it is this good, it is literally pretty much just bumping up next in performance to the 2018 15-inch MacBook Pros. Those multi-core scores were 21,000, 21,000, 22,000. The 2018 iPad Pro hit 18,000. It's right there with a 6-core i7 and a 6-core i9 processor. So this thing can clearly handle 4K video. This thing can clearly handle everything that is thrown at a desktop slash laptop environment. It can handle what Mac OS has to offer, but Apple isn't allowing us to do that. I talked about it earlier. The iPad is a luxury device. It really is because most people still today are going to get a computer before they get an iPad. There's also some, there's always the devils in the details. Apple doesn't always tell you everything that is going on with these products. So here we go, follow-ups. The new iPad Pros do not have HDR support. The 10.5-inch 2017 iPad Pros had HDR support for watching movies. That makes a difference when you you will see it. Again, you have to see it side-by-side, but to me, I'm a big Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos freak. I wish they had it. They, I'm surprised they don't even have Dolby Atmos support on this. It's a four-speaker machine. We've seen Dolby Atmos in phones, in laptops. You're telling me they couldn't put Dolby Atmos in the iPad Pro? I mean, they're so obsessed with making it so thin that it affects some of the other features of this. For example, the camera. We all know that I can't stand people using their iPad as a camera. It's horrible. It gets in the way. It blocks scenes. It just looks goofy. It's absolutely dumb. Well, the iPad Pro 2018 camera took a step back, most likely because of its thinner form factor, and is using a previous camera, their five-elemental lens, with no optical image stabilization. So, you know, your your camera's worse on the iPad Pro. I actually... I think that's a good thing for for someone like me because I don't want people to be taking movies with their iPad Pro. Apple should just remove the camera so that they can stop they can stop that. It's so bad. I hate it. But the camera is of lesser quality and I know some people were actually uh annoyed by that. I think it's a step back that I don't like but then I also laugh about cuz I'm like, yeah, give give them the worst camera possible. Do make them not want to take pictures. It's actually, the pictures are still going to look pretty good. Their five elemental lens is not that bad. Another devil in the details, you can um, build this compute, this iPad Pro, the 12.9 inch uh, up to one terabyte storage, right? Well, when you get to the one terabyte storage option, it gets a RAM bump to six gigs. So normally all the other capacities have four gigs of RAM, the one terabyte gets six gigs. More storage, 
more memory support, that's fine. I'm not, I pre-ordered mine. I did not get a one terabyte iPad Pro because the starting price before you customize it is like $18.99. $18.99, no. This thing can't do anything close to what a lot, $18.99, and there are people that are gonna buy that, okay? But a six, a one terabyte rammed out, sorry, a one terabyte with six gigs of RAM will start at $18.99. That's before you beef it up. Uh, There are, again, no pro apps still available there. I hope this is kind of one of those build it and they will come type of things. The hardware is amazing. I talked to my buddy, Mike Wang, who works for NBA 2K19. They demoed the app there. He said the hardware is freaking not only gorgeous, but extremely powerful. He loves it. But let's bring the apps now. Let's get into it. Apple, I'm talking to you. I know some of you are all listening. Do it for us. Support it. App, what happened to hardware and software working together? That was like one of your mantras. Get it done for us, okay? There's still no full Mac OS, so it, no matter how hard they push it, it's not going to rival desktop. There is no headphone jack, but here's the thing, right? The new iPad Pro is USB-C. So what does that mean for you? You're going to have to have a totally different dongle. You're going to have to have a USB-C to headphone jack dongle that you probably don't have. You're going to need a lightning cable to headphone jack for your phones. So you got you got two, if you're living in that ecosystem and you're sipping the Apple Kool-Aid, which many of us are to a certain extent, <laughs> you got to get another dongle. Let's get ready to dongle! Also, they're completely setting up this future wireless headphone push. We know what the move they've done with the iPhones has done for AirPods, and also the AirPods are a really good product. They're not great yet, but they're still really good. I always have to say that. I like them. They can get a whole lot better, honestly, but the convenience is, uh, their money. So, right, we're expecting sometime in the first half of next year them to announce now, since they didn't do it here, the new AirPods, Apple's new branded over-the-ear headphones, because their products require are really basically built to have wireless headphones now. That's what they're doing. They're gonna make, and people will buy them. People are gonna totally buy them. You know, some of you listening are totally gonna buy them. Just nod your head and say, yes, Brian. Yes, Apple. Open the wallet. Open, open. But the new iPad Pro for the things it doesn't have, at least for the way that I use it, I'm I am so fired up for it, but I actually want them to do more. I hope that this product evolves more. I was disappointed we didn't see any new iOS 12 UI specific features to the iPad Pro. They really did a great job with it last year, but there are no new kind of software hooks and whistles that make it a unique thing, that give it more functionality. That that was what was missing. Maybe we'll see an update in the somewhere in the middle of the year, but that was the biggest thing that was missing to me. But still overall, iPad Pro, yeah, that's a good Apple. Yes! 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 I'm all for it. All right, let's talk about the MacBook Air. Brings the retina display, touch ID without a uh, touch bar. Brings kind of up to speed with the MacBook Pro's features and the form factor, but it still calls back to the MacBook Air with that kind of taper design, that wedge design that is honestly pretty sweet. 
The biggest disappointment, again, devil in the details, what was the processor running inside of it? Well, typically in Apple's portables, they've been using a 15-watt U-series chip from Intel that is more powerful, that drives more power, drives more performance. But in this MacBook Air, they're using a 7-watt Amber Lake Intel chip. What that means is there's a reason why it has the longest battery life of any MacBook or Apple portable right now at roughly 12 hours is because, quite honestly, it's kind of underpowered. And underpowered is is a kind way to put it. It's just, look, it's a great computer for a consumer who would just want to, A, be in the Apple ecosystem and pay the prices that they're putting out. We'll talk about that in a second. But also, basic web surfing, email, web browsing, some photo work. Don't expect to do any major type of video intensive content with this. This is not the machine for you. But let's talk about some of the Geekbench results in performance, just to give you an idea of where it stands. So 2018 is kind of is been the first major real redesign and upgrade the MacBook Air has seen and it desperately has needed it, right? That's always been the case. Again, the the before this announcement, the MacBook Air started around 999. This new MacBook Air starts at 1199, but let's talk about its performance. Geekbench results again gives us a good idea of how much of an upgrade it is. The 2017, last year's MacBook Air single core performance, 3,335. The 2018 MacBook Air single core performance, 4,248. That's what? Like, okay, a little, like a nine 900 point difference. That's not that much year to year. But let's let's go look at the multi-core performance. Sorry, my voice kind of cracked there. 2017 MacBook Air, 6,119. 2018 MacBook Air, 7,828. So there we're getting a jump of around 1,700 in performance points. But remember, the iPad Pro from last year to this year pretty much doubled it in multi-core performance. The 2017 MacBook Air to 2018, you're pretty much getting around maybe a 15%-ish gain. I'm just looking at it roughly. I'm eyeballing it. That's not that much. It's not that much powerful than last year's MacBook Air, which tells you a lot about the processor. Quite honestly, a lot of people are saying it's an underpowered processor. Um, the starting price point for a MacBook Air is now $1,200, $1,199. It used to be $999. They still offer the older MacBook Air for $999, like kind of like a legacy product on their site. Apple's doing some weird things when it comes to that pricing. So, right, you have, you there you go. It's getting just kind of basically moderate gains over a 2017 MacBook Air. Other than the form factor, the retina display, and the Touch ID, do you, if you have a MacBook Air from last year, do you really need to get one this year? Uh, no. The performance doesn't make make it a compelling reason for me. And then, you have this 1199 MacBook Air. At least that's the base model. But remember, Apple still has that 12-inch ultra-thin MacBook out there floating around. I thought because of this new MacBook Air, because of its design, that they would just say, okay, a 12-inch MacBook now, just go bye-bye for now. But it's a it's an underpowered machine. It's 
it can't it this performance is less than the brand new MacBook Air for this 12-inch MacBook, right? But Apple is selling that 12-inch MacBook for $1300, so it's $100 more expensive than the new MacBook Air and Apple is just leaving it on the site and there is no freaking reason other than if you want this small laptop to fit in your fancy purse bag or man purse bag because equal every men and women both are rocking them purse bags now that's why would you just keep it there i it makes no sense i thought that they would just get rid of it it's a lesser powered machine with a smaller screen for $100 more go figure that's apple all right let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor for this week's show you know you've gotten a new device it could be like an iphone 10 10s 10s max tenor tennis match iphone 10 series an amazon kindle a google pixel a samsung galaxy s9 so what do you want to do next with it well how about loading it up with some awesome ebooks from open road media and their site early bird books Now, the Apple Bits XL has partnered with Open Road's Early Bird Books for the next two weeks to bring you, Apple Bits Nation, an ebook that I personally chose from their catalog. So, check it out. This week's selection is Neil Gaiman's Don't Panic. It's it's a kind of complimentary piece to Douglas Adams and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You know, that is an amazing classic story, sci fi novel. So, this ebook from Neil Gaiman is kind of like uh, supporting material from Douglas Adams himself. It's his in his own words and is also compiled from some of the interviews that Gaiman did with him, as well as this like tireless search of all this meat of how this Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy came to be. It's really kind of one of those tentpole pieces of literature then turned into a movie that has contributed to so much of the sci-fi imagination and community. So check it out. Just go to the link. It's bit.ly slash don't panic book. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash don't panic book. And then all you have to do is add the book to your shopping cart. Don't forget to use the promo code AppleBits. That's one word with a Z. A-P-P-L-E-B-I-T-Z at the checkout to receive 60% off your ebook order. And if you continue to enjoy it, check out Open Road Media's earlybirdbooks.com. It's their newsletter for continuous deals on ebooks, Open Road Media, and Apple Bits, bringing you the best ebooks for your device. All right, we roll on to the show. Remember, you all can call in at 833-888-ABXL. That's 833-888-2295. I think there is so much that has got to be on your mind after the keynote. But this is one point that I wanted to bring up and talk about. I wasn't sure if I was really like making this up, but you've got to be feeling this, especially after this recent keynote. Apple's average selling price, or at least their entry-level price to their hardware, is going up. And are you okay with this? I thought, maybe, am I making this up or not? And so I kind of wanted to pull some numbers to really establish, okay, what is going on here, right? So first up, Apple... The iPhone, I think the iPhone was kind of the first catalyst when, remember, there were all these reports that Apple was going to start selling a phone for $1,000, and that was the starting price of the phone. Well, they did it, right? The iPhone 10 started at $999, but I wanted to look back at somewhere around like 2016, where the iPhone 7 Plus, it was around 
$770. The iPhone 6 Plus at the back in 2015 started around $750. So they're all kind of hovering. Let's just say they're around $750, okay? But in all of a sudden, the iPhone 10 comes around and it comes up to $999. If we want to even rewind and talk about the Mac Mini, the Mac Mini, right, it hasn't been upgraded in four years. It was always touted as the most affordable Mac and it started at $499. Uh, in 2014, but now the base price for a Mac Mini is $799. That, to me, is a little big jump. We go back to something like the MacBook Air, which maybe doesn't follow in line with this, but we want to see like what's going on here. The MacBook Air, in the original one in 2008, it, remember, this was the first computer that fit in a manila envelope. It was kind of like, at the time, their concept car of MacBooks, what it would look like in the future, $17.99 was the price for that MacBook Air, which was a lot at the time because it had this like built-in flip-out door at the bottom to get access to like a USB port. I can't remember if there was an Ethernet port on it. I feel like there was, like, but it was only like two ports and a headphone jack. It also did not, it was the first computer to not have a CD, DVD drive from Apple, at least from a laptop. If I recall, you had to buy this like external super drive and that like drove people crazy in the end, it was the right move to make, but it was a little ahead of its time right there, okay? Well, now the MacBook Air is $1,199. So that's an example where the price didn't really go up. So then what I did is kind of look at the rate of inflation from some of those years to see, okay, how how much would how much would these really be, right? It what's what are we looking at? So the iPhone in 2016, we're just gonna settle on the price being roughly $750. It depended on the model, but at least the general like kind of starting price was around-ish that area. So if if you had $100 in 2016, the inflation rate is 5.18% to 2018. So basically $100 would be $105.18 today. If you look at the iPhones back then, again, we're at $750. If you factored in inflation, the iPhone price point or base starting point would be $788. And I know, yes, they're going to throw new bells and whistles and features, but we're talking about the rough estimation of inflation being 788 versus iPhone 10, just say, yo, $999. And guess what? Why are they still doing that? Because we bought them. I bought an iPhone 10. A lot of you bought an iPhone 10, or a lot of you, because of your phone cycle, bought an iPhone 10s. It didn't stop us. We're the ones that kind of are creating this monster as well, but it's kind of a big jump in price. That's all I'm saying. Okay, let's talk about the Mac Mini specifically. The Mac Mini in 2014, right? The inflation rate, 2014 to 2018, 6.63%. So $100 would be $106.63 today. So we take the price of the Mac Mini, right? That was $499 as an entry-level starting price point. Factored inflation, that price point would be $532.08. Again, yes, they're going to throw new technical bells and whistles, fine. But the starting point for a Mac Mini today is $799. It's $800. You're telling me that they like $270 of a jump? Like, are we really getting that much value? And also, quite honestly, for the Mac Mini, at least initially being the most, or being touted as the most affordable Mac, do you really need to make a model that is actually 
seven seven ninety nine as an entry point. Couldn't you have just kind of stayed true to that? But look, we know Apple's trying to push that average selling price up. So if the entry level model is higher, the overall average selling price is higher. And I don't. How do you feel about that? Do you? I read a bunch of the comments on my video. People are starting to say. Apple is going back to this whole Apple premium, which has existed, has existed, but for a while, there's a time where Apple's price points kind of lined up with what was happening in the industry in general. But do you feel like you're getting priced out of the Apple ecosystem? And has it turned you off or stopped you from buying any products? Has it has it stopped you from even this new crop of products that came out saying, you know what, I would have normally wanted to get one, but this pricing is getting a little too ridiculous because ultimately our wallets decide the pricing for future generations. If we keep on paying a thousand bucks for a phone, which we all do, do and did, I was like, do <laughs> we all do? We're gonna we're gonna get a nine hundred ninety nine dollar phone. We're gonna get a twelve hundred dollar base model phone eventually. I get it. We should all have options. That's fine. But when the base model option is significantly higher. And are, do we a, really need it? Are we really getting that value? Or how much is Apple really like just throwing that Apple tax on us? I'm I'm curious how you guys and gals feel about that. I really am. It's a good talking point. Is the what is going on with the av- average Apple selling price? Are you okay with this? I can't imagine you all are. Other stories and updates after the keynote. iOS 12.1.1 is out. It's the beta with FaceTime interface fixes. Thank you very much. I complained about it when they, right, you had to like tap it to go to another screen and then tap three dots to get either to flip the camera. It was so stupid. According to this, it's in the developer beta and the public beta. They have fixed it to appear on the main screen again. So I'm going to hope that they listen to us, to you, to me screaming at them like, it's the dumbest thing. It was so inefficient. Anyways, it appears to have been fixed in iOS 12.1.1 that will roll out later on. It's still only available for developers again. Um, it also re-adds a feature that allows you to take a live photo while on a FaceTime call. So that's there. Again, there's like a reworked bottom bar for quick access to the buttons um, for flipping the camera and muting the call. Thank you. Thank you. That's a good Apple. Yeah! I love that. This It's the little things in life. WatchOS 5.1, it was recently pulled, at least as of this recording, because it bricked more than a few users' Apple Watches, um, which is why, honestly, I wait multiple days before I put this stuff on. Apple released it the same time that they released iOS 12.1. You know at the keynote, that gives you group FaceTime. It gives you the new emojis. It also activates the eSIM for you, although certain carriers have to support that, which means you know, taking advantage of a dual SIM phone, at least here in the US, is gonna take some time before uh, T-Mobile, Verizon, and AT&T get their carriers up to speed, but the dual SIM feature is uh, active as well, so that's all good. And also they have readjusted the beauty gate issue or that kind of soft smoothing selfie feature that was clearly apparent on the new batches of phones. That has been uh, resolved by pulling a different still out of the many that they use with their smart HDR algorithm. So you could call it a bug or you could just call it that everyone complained about it and Apple's like, mm, we want to fix that. Yeah, I think I think we'll do that. Okay. All right, and then uh, before we get to some of our awesome calls and we got a bunch of them, 
Apple earnings. We kind of got to go through this because there are some interesting nuggets that came out of it. Basically, Apple announced another record quarter. This is for the third calendar quarter, which is really the fourth fiscal quarter of 2018. For this quarter, Apple posted revenues of $62.9 billion and a net quarterly profit of 14.1. That's compared to $52.6 billion last year's quarter, same same quarter, but last year, and then a net quarterly profit of 10.7. Now, Apple sold 46.9 million iPhones, slightly up from 46.7 in the year ago quarter. iPad sales dropped from 9.7 million compared to 10.3 in the year ago quarter, while sales for the Macs also dipped 5.3 million from 5.4 million. Again, look, we just got a product announcement. It was drawn out, so those numbers most likely will get a nice bump in the next earnings report. But, you know, analysts were a little like, okay, what's going on? iPhone sales were to them relatively flat, slightly below the expectations they had. The services division was Apple's best quarter ever for that, a revenue of $10 billion. Okay, now remember back in 2017, Tim Cook outright said, we want to double our services revenue by 2020. At that time, it was at $7 billion. So they're trying to get to $14 billion in their services. So that's things like uh, Apple Music, iCloud, th- things like that, right? So their goal is $14 billion. They're already at $10 billion. They're, they're, they're going to easily hit this by fiscal 2020, especially with rumblings of their Apple TV streaming, whatchamacallit service. They're going to get there. Also, the biggest thing that came out of this earnings is that Apple says they will no longer be reporting individual iPhone, iPad, and Mac unit sales starting in the December quarter. Why is this big news? Well, think about this, right? We we as consumers, I guess it's more inside baseball, but you and I care about this stuff because it's fun. We want to know how well they're really doing in each category. Like we said here, uh, they were slightly down in iPads, and they were slightly down in Macs, and they were slightly up in iPhones. So it's a good indicator of what's happening. Apple says now they're they're not going to do any of that. So remember things like the Apple Watch, AirPods, and similar products that all bundled into this like other products, and Apple has never revealed numbers for those. So what we're going to have to do is kind of rely on these analysts that make these rough guesses of how many units were sold. So think about this. Apple said they will release qualitative statements, so no hard figures, on its performance of products um, when they deem it significant. So could you imagine the next earnings report? Apple's going to be like, yeah, uh, iPhone sales are good. The company is doing great overall. Um, IMAX, yeah, oh, they're doing they're doing amazing. And we're going to be like, okay, but like how, how amazing? How, uh, how, how great? Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not I'm not a big I'm not uh, I'm not the biggest fan of that. Boo! Not a fan. But another record breaking quarter for Apple. All right, let's get to our voicemails. We got a bunch of them. I narrowed them down to 4 and I really want to hear your reactions to the keynote and the whole average selling price. What what are your thoughts on that? Remember, all you got to do is call us at the number 1833 ABXL, leave your name where you're from and just get right to it. If you got good apples, you got bad apples, I want to hear about them all. All right, let's talk to my buddy, Andrew. Hey, Brian, it's Andrew from Florida calling again. I just wanted to give my thoughts about the October 30th iPad and Mac event. 
I am very happy that Apple went USB-C for the iPads, but I'm very disappointed with the fact that none of this year's iPhones got it. Why wouldn't they do it for that? Just do it. Lightning needs to die, and that's a fact. And obviously it will next year. I believe that every other connector that is not USB-C, including HDMI, Ethernet, and even USB-A, needs to die. And apparently Apple believes this when they, re- when they released the 2016 MacBook Pro with only USB-C. We need to live in a world where electronic devices only use a single connector standard across the board, and that is clearly USB-C. Just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Love the show, of course. Thanks. I mean, I think we're getting there. I think, obviously, look, there's two ways to look at it. You want to be this kind of, you know, you want to take the futurist approach that, yes, just make it all standard across the board. And you are right, it's going to get there. But I'm also, I kind of play in the way that I see things is a, a little bit in between of the futurist, but also being practical. And so will it help make devices slimmer? Yes. Is it a faster throughput? Yes. Is it a better standard because you can flip the cable however you want? Yes. But it's still just going to take time to get there. And when you talk about the iPhones not not getting it there, I think really the main reason why, and it has nothing to do with, um, I think Apple's past the point of the whole lightning uh, port royalties and using that made for iPhone or made for Apple program on third-party accessories. I think what it comes down to is that iPhones typically get design changes every two years. They weren't going to put in a USB-C port and completely have to go through all the work of redesigning and changing that upgrade cycle of design. So every two years they do it, most likely we're going to see USB-C in next year's iPhone. And if we don't, I'll be really surprised. The iPad has it. The MacBooks have it. um, The MacBook Pros have it. Mac Minis have it. The writing's on the wall. So, Andrew, it's coming for you. And I know I know it'll make you very, very, very happy. All right, let's go check out what Cameron has to say. Oh, hey, Brian. Uh, it's Cameron Abrams calling from Port Hope, Ontario, Canada. Uh, love the show. Been listening to your podcast for a long time. Uh, great that you're doing things independently now. I just have uh, two really kind of quick questions. One You've been praising the Apple Watch Series 4 for a while now. I've been looking at getting myself an Apple Watch you know, Series 4. Now they put the cellular in it. It just kind of makes sense. And I'm just wondering, what are your thoughts on uh, the Apple Watch Series 3 versus the Apple Watch Series 4? Which one is uh, better? Because here in Canada, of course, it's like way higher in price than it is in the United States, just for our dollar in value. Uh, and then my second question is... Um, they Apple discontinued the iPhone SE, and I know you made a video about the iPhone SE. I love the iPhone SE. It's just kind of that sweet spot for the phone, and now that they've discontinued it, does it make sense, you know, when the battery starts to go down to just get a replacement battery if ever battery charging and reliability gets to be an issue? What are your thoughts? Thanks. Keep up the great work. Love the show. Looking forward to hearing from you. All right, Cameron. Thanks so much for calling. Okay, so number one, I'm not. I'm basically going to tell you get the Apple Watch Series Four, and it's not because oh, just get the, you know, pay the most money for it. But the reason why it's more when you're at a point, and if you've never especially had one, you got to get the most recent one because that model also is going to last you the longest. So you get a Series Three with software updates. 
it's going to be outdated a year earlier, most likely, than a Series 4 will. Also, the Series 4 is the best Apple Watch, the biggest screen, the best performance. If anyone was going to buy an Apple Watch today, I would just say invest the money and just get a 4. And everyone that I've told to get a 4, no matter what, they're they're like, I love the 4. And it is an amazing device. I love it. Okay, so do that. And then in response to your other question, look, if you love the iPhone SE that much, then go for it. Get the battery. But I think what's going to happen, and this happened to one of my friends, uh, the camera, once they saw the camera on the new phones, and it doesn't even have to be the you know the newest, newest cat's meow, but they were like, okay, uh, I love the SE. I love the form factor. I still love how it performs, but damn, I need a better camera. And that's probably what's going to make you leave your SE. But if you love that thing, get a battery for it. Rock it. Be proud. Represent. I'm, I'm all about that, all right? Thanks for calling, Cameron. Let's talk to Trevor. Hey, Brian. This is Trevor from Arizona. Just wanted to give a quick report on the iPhone XR. It's really pretty freaking awesome. Um, I upgraded from a iPhone 8 uh, to the XR. I just thought that I really wanted the notch. Just kidding. I didn't really want the notch. But I wanted to get rid of the home button, actually, and uh, the bars on the top and the bottom. So I went for the XR just for mostly for the price tag, and I saw that the specs were pretty close. Uh, my wife had a – she got an XS. And really the, the big difference is the screen and the, and the zoom camera on the back. Um, but what I'm really loving about the XR is the battery life. Holy cow. Um, I can go almost a full day and I'm barely under 50%, which is awesome. And, uh, but I thought I wouldn't miss touch ID, but I really do miss touch ID actually, especially, um, where I miss it the most is notifications when they pop onto the screen, like, like reminders before you can just touch ID it and then see, say Mark completed or remind me tomorrow, whatever. Now I have to swipe and then click, so it's two extra taps. And same thing with responding to text before you could just touch ID the screen, respond to text, respond real quick. Um, but now you gotta swipe or tap into it. Um, but Face ID works so good and so fast actually with the processor that as soon as you tap it, I mean, you're instantly right onto it. So anyway, that's my report. Um, kind of what you were saying, but uh, wanted to send that out to uh, everyone listening. Great show, thanks. All right, thanks so much, Trevor. I got to agree. I've been using the iPhone XR. I got the yellow one. Uh, I love how he called it the XR because everyone, I mean, I have to correct myself all the time. XR, 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 XR. It's a great phone because of the performance. You don't feel like you're losing anything. The only time you feel like you're losing is what we talked about, telephoto zoom. And the camera is, portrait mode is a little different, but... um. And no, and no 3D touch. I know he kept on saying touch ID, but he meant 3D touch. We know what he was meant, but I think for a lot of people, whether or not they get it, they would be just fine with a 10R and they would save a whole bunch of money if they did it. And honest, there's something fun about the color, just having the color on it. I'm sorry, it, it works. They got me on that. All right, next up, final call, my man Terrence. Hey, Brian. Terrence McKelvey enjoying a lovely warm day in Beverly Hills here. And I had a thought. I would love to see uh, some of the new Apple phones or even Android phones uh, instead of the notch because I can't go that route. Um, maybe just like a nice little simple pinhole uh, in the display or even 
uh, I think I heard something Samsung's working for like an under display, like invisible type of uh, uh, hole where the lens for the camera can be. Um, and maybe just like a nice little sliver for um, some stuff. Um, tell me what you think about that. Is the notch really necessary or can they really pull that off and just nice, nice, simple little under display or pinhole type of thing? Keep it up. Talk to you soon. All right, T. Uh, obviously, anything is possible and they can do it. I don't know if they're going to actually do it. I think it would be cool. Um, I think, though, it, is, it can be trickier to put an actual camera lens behind the display and it, it probably presents more difficulties than it it's worth but i don't know if you saw this or any of you saw this but check out this story um it was on in gadget and they showed off this new phone called the nubia x spelled n-u-b-i-a-x it completely gets rid of the notch by adding a display on the rear side of the phone specifically for selfies and why does that matter okay Instead of you looking at your regular screen and having some notch that takes up the camera, it has like a display on the backside. So instead, you just turn your phone to the back, look at it. You can see your face. You take the selfie from the backside, which means the front side is completely flawless. The front side can be as thin of a bezel as it wants to be. I think that's genius. The phone is probably crap, but that's the type of innovative thinking you need to kind of come up with other solutions. I think the Vivo phone had that camera that was built into the phone and kind of like, uh, you know, it just kind of popped out, but that's a moving part. It'll probably break. You could drop it. It could snap off. Like the camera like went, came out, went back in. But yeah, everyone's coming up with new ways of no bezels, no, I mean, a no notch. And I'm not gonna lie. I don't want it. All right, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much. It was an extended show. Um, I'm also, I have another special kind of thing lined up. Whenever there's keynotes, I kind of like to give you guys and gals a lot more. So uh, just stay tuned. There might be something dropping real soon along with it. But call us, be a part of the show. Again, the number is, I have to check this sometimes, 833-888-ABXL, 833-XXX-2295. Got to show love to all the Patreon support at patreon.com slash Brian Tong. If you support the show, there's a link directly on the Patreon page that allows you to hear the show without ads because you are a paying sponsor. Starts at $1, $5, $10, $25, 100 Got to show love to my Platinum Apples, Brandon Ledford, Terrence McKelvey from Stratos Wealth Partners, Gil Cabrera, Andy Halverson, Wesley Frader, Craig Hindall, and Jarrett Lewis. And thank you to everyone that continues to support the show by listening, five-star reviewing this, telling your friends about it, and potentially supporting it. This is my independent gig, and I keep on hustling through. So uh, thank you. Got nothing but love. All right, that's a wrap-up for this kind of recap of the Apple event, iPad Pro, MacBook Air, Mac Mini. I want to hear about it from all y'all. I'd love to hear what y'all think. All right, take care. Have a great weekend. Be safe. You know how we do it. Latest. Latest.